This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard. Well, 2019 is almost over, and we're proud to be close to celebrating five years, more than 300 episodes of Fashion Is Your Business. Next year, 2020, we have all new exciting episodes that offer everything you've loved about the show over the years. Some conversations, though, are timeless, as relevant today as they were when they first occurred. For the rest of this month, we'll be continuing to give you a chance to listen again, or maybe the first time to some of the standout, timeless conversations we've had over the last five years. One of these conversations was the opportunity to sit and talk with both Rebecca Minkoff, co-founder and designer of the Rebecca Minkoff Women's Wear brand and podcaster, innovator, and so many other things, and her brother, Uri Minkoff, co-founder and CEO of the Rebecca Minkoff Women's Wear brand and creative director and CEO of Uri Minkoff Men's Wear brand and so many other things, joined me, Mark Rako, and guest hosts Liz Basilar of The Current and Robin Copeland, formerly of ThoughtWorks. For an episode of Fashion Is Your Business Live, recorded in front of a live audience in New York. We covered everything from fashion technology, leadership and innovation, connecting and creating a movement and looking forward, human moments, customization, innovation, millennials, embarrassing stories and proud moments. All of that and more is up next. We hope you enjoy. You're listening to Fashion Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the fashion industry. Recorded on location. Hey, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of Fashion Is Your Business Live, recorded on location in front of a live audience at Q Labs, a very cool co working environment in New York City. Listen to that crowd. That's incredible. Incredible. Big crowd today. Thanks, everyone, for coming today. I feel like we should be chewing double mink gum because we have double the fun. Not one, but two Minkoffs in the house. Get ready for an interview with both Rebecca Minkoff, co-founder and designer at the Tremendous women's wear brand that bears her name, Rebecca Minkoff, and Uri Minkoff, co-founder and CEO of the Rebecca Minkoff brand and creative director and CEO of an inspiring men's wear brand bearing his name. This spectacular show with these successful two technology thought leaders starts right now. Hi, I'm Rebecca Minkoff, and what I love about fashion is every day, if not every second, there is something new, something exciting to be seen that you can purchase or make yourself to express who you are. Hi, uh, Uri Minkoff. What I love about fashion tech and fashion um, is is fashion is that is that way of that we express who we are. It's a way of expressing our identity. It's that it's that first impression and and, and shows what we're thinking, what we're feeling, who, who we want to be, who we think we are, and it's, it's a very personal way of portraying oneself. And what I love about fashion tech is it's this enabler, it's this, it's this leveler, it's this way where we can discover who other people are, it's this way where we can broadcast who we are to others, and it's this beautiful two-way street um, of, of how to 
uh, receive and, and, and give this expression of self uh, and inspiration, and I think that's what it's trying to do. We're back. Thanks so much, everybody. This is Fashion Is Your Business Alive, and I am blessed to have a couple of guest hosts with me here today. We have the great Liz Basilar. Welcome, Liz. So great to see you again. You too. Great to see you. And uh, we're honored that we just had flown in from Zurich. <laughs> Mr. Robin Copeland, the uh, VP of Retail for the Americas for ThoughtWorks. Welcome, Robin. Thanks. Excited to be here and glad I made it, despite the traffic. Yeah, great to have you on, Mike. All right, just a couple quick pieces of housekeeping. Reminder to everybody, please follow our show on social media at Fashion Biz Show. That's Fashion B-I-Z Show. And you can check out all of our episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and, of course, our very own website, fashionisyourbusiness.com. And uh, let's start with this. Uh, Rebecca and Uri, would you each take your own stab at a quick Reader's Digest thumbnail sketch of what your brand is all about? I'm interested in your two perspectives. Okay, Reader's Digest thumbnail sketch. Yes, How many it's sentences Minkoff is that? Versus Minkoff. Cliff Notes? Yeah, Cliff Notes. Uh, we call her a fearless woman who lives a self defined life. Um, and aesthetically, she has two sides to her. She has a bohemian side and then a rock and roll side. So they always use the example of me at the office wearing a flowy dress with a leather jacket. Um, and she's a woman going through these really huge firsts in her life, but also the firsts that we sometimes uh, don't always see going on in her life. She completely cheated because we've been talking about this all week. So she. <laughs> so I, I think that's on the consumer side. Uh, absolutely, is is, is that um, what, what the brand is about? But I think you know we serve a, a, also a different or larger purpose, uh, which is to create um, harmony between uh, consumers and what has been an insular fashion world, mm-hmm. um, and, and and we exist to basically fight down the walls that that have existed that have prevented people from really being part of what should be a beautiful industry um, and uh, the idea of inclusion uh, that people of all um, you know uh, race gender whatever that may be that have an interest in fashion are able to feel part of the process and part of the journey and that's something that I think is a big part of our brand Awesome. Okay, before I turn it over to these great people, Liz and Robin, I'd like to start with this question. One of the missions of open source fashion is that we connect people, we help them grow, and we share their stories. So I'm kind of interested as to how you see your story in these three ways, how people have, how the connection with people has helped you grow, and, and the path that you followed, and how your story has been shared or how you're sharing your story, any way you want to attack that. I think to talk about the connect part, I think since day one we've been connecting with her, whether it was in person, online, and now through all of our social media vehicles, constantly asking her questions, wanting her input, having her vote, having her help design. I think that's a constant dialogue that she's had input with. I can't honestly remember the other two that you just said, though. That's okay. That was pretty good. Okay, he can maybe answer one, one, one or both of the other two. Yeah, I think I think it's about I think it's the I think it's the little things. I think it's the little thoughtful nuances um, that have really separated things. So whether you know last 
last summer, you know, Rebecca, someone had written in that there was a, 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 a fan of Rebecca's in Brooklyn that had uh, a young mother that had breast cancer. And so Rebecca decided to show up on her doorstep and surprise her, invite her to the show and take her on a personal shopping tour and to gift her and to allow her to come to be part of a fashion show. So I think it's things like that um, where it's, it's about reaching out to uh, who our customers are and, and who who she's been able to inspire. And I think, I think the big thing is that our story has been so unconventional and that we want to, we've grown through every unconventional means possible and that, you know, there isn't, you, you couldn't look at Rebecca's story and say that her starting point was dissimilar to any, almost any person. It wasn't that someone paid for her to go to Parsons for four years or that she had, you know, a super rich husband, right, that was able to, to fund anything, right? Her starting point... Or that I worked at a certain magazine. Yeah, her starting point was, was as a common person coming from Florida, right, that just had a, had a dream or a goal that our parents gave a one-way ticket to Islip because New York's uh, JFK and LaGuardia were too expensive uh, in, in their mind. So that was kind of this, this basis point, hoping, hoping to maybe get an internship. So I think it was through this, her unconventional ways and how we've unconventionally grown this company to inspire other people that they can take their own path and that they too can succeed. And so our goal, you know, also in, in working with Q Labs um, and, and, and having this space, you know, I think there's what, two or three companies that we're mentoring right now that we're allowing full access to our company, allowing other people to, to achieve their dreams, their startup dreams as well, um, that are adding value to us, but that we're, we're also giving a spark to on their roadmap. Awesome. So he's talking about being unconventional. I totally agree with that. No one can question how unconventional you are and the way you approach running the company, Yuri, and the way you are, Rebecca, in growing your brand since the very beginning. So do you both agree that if you were to launch today with all the fresh ideas that you've always had, you'd be considered kind of a startup, right? Yeah, right? I mean, I think we, we definitely take that mentality still today. We still think we are a startup. Yes. So, okay, We're so <laughs> on that note, on that note, startups have unicorn dreams, right? What's your unicorn dream then? Like many tech companies, they dream of an acquisition and that's success. Um, but I feel that when you're a brand and the brand bears your name, some of the designers, they stay there until the end. So when you think of your success and when you dream of the next level, where are you heading? I think our larger goal is creating a movement, and that movement is about showing a woman that she is powerful and she is strong, and whether she wants to work in fashion or any other career, that she can live life on her own terms and define and design her own life. And so if we provide products for her that give her that confidence or that make her feel that way, um, but we also show her that through how I did it, how, how we did it together, how the other people that we plan to, you know, surround ourselves with and give this girl access to uh, with our content, um, that it can be done a myriad of ways that, that you can do this too. Yeah, I think, I think it goes beyond the, the product. I think the product is, is part of it, but I think you're going to see starting the end of this year as we move forward that it, it's a larger, it's a content play, it's, it's an educational play. Um, it's, it's really, look, we're in this first generation of women um, in, in Asia, in the Middle East, where you have a female middle class that's, that's independent, 
we have we have the first time we have a you know a female middle class in the U.S. where uh, women of diversity right are 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 choosing their own lives and having a lot of success. And so what we're really excited about is is how. Rebecca's unconventional ways can inspire other people that they can have success whenever that is. So I think for us, it is that larger story of, 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 of the power of this young female and the impacts that she can make on society later. And so it's much more than just a bag or a purse. That's what you've seen so far, and you've, but now it becomes a much larger movement, um, and it, it does bear our name. So, so yes. what you as founders, like, this is just the beginning, then. There's so much left on the list. There's a lot left on the list, yes. Right, we're going to take a very quick break. When we come back, more with Rebecca Minkoff and Uri Minkoff right here on Fashion Is Your Business Live. Entrepreneurista, a woman who organizes and operates a business, taking on greater than normal financial risks in order to do so. One who has a drive, passion, and vision with an undying determination to succeed. She is fiercely motivated, ambitious, and competitive forging her own path to independence and success. That's an entrepreneurista. Through the conversations on the Entrepreneurista podcast, we want to celebrate failures, reflect on successes, and get unfiltered about what it takes to be your own boss. This is the Entrepreneurista podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done and what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram with no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Check out all our latest episodes at entrepreneurstopodcast.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to FIYB Live right here at Q Labs with Rebecca and Uri Minkoff. Uh, great to have you guys here. Thanks a lot. We'd like to thank our sponsor for this episode, which is Fiverr, the world's largest marketplace for digital services. You can get a logo design, marketing services, whiteboards, and more starting from only five bucks. I personally use them for everything from animation, logos, custom e-cards, voiceover work, and more. And they are awesome. If you want something done cost-efficient, you check out Fiverr. That's F-I-V-E-R-R dot com. I'll uh, start this one off. So uh, to either of you, we, we work with uh, you know, all of the big brands from whether it's Saks to Ralph Lauren or Gap or what have you. And they're all trying to do the things that you're doing in your stores, the way you think about the experience, um, the customer engagement aspect of it. Um, last year, we were involved with the retail innovation uh, summit in New York, and it was interesting that one of the activities that they did with the group was actually to tour your stores. So what, what's that like at this point in your growth history to actually see all of the major American brands coming and looking at your store as the example, um, whether it be from a technology perspective in store or how you're thinking about customer engagement? That That's quite, quite a... Uh, um, a jump from where you started and uh, imagine where you thought you would be. I love that question. I took a Japanese delegation to your store. Remember that? <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do remember. Yeah, no, it was, yeah, I mean, we've, you know, during, I think, the National Retailer Federation Conference, we get like three or 4,000 visitors that week that are just there to see the store. Um, yeah, it's just, it's become something very interesting. Even people like have like a Chanel delegation or a support. Like it's just anyone and everyone has, has been through there uh, to discuss that. Um, I think it's very flattering. Um, 
uh, you know, to, to, to have that. But I think, you know, it was authentic to us because we looked at it in a totally different way. And, and for us, that's just the beginning of a journey. So even as we, there's two more initiatives that we're hoping to launch in the next three or four months, as I tell them to people, they're like, oh, wow, we hadn't thought of that. Um, and so I think for us, it's great, but we feel like the internet shopping paradigm was really set, you know, between 95 and 2005. And right now we feel like the store of the future, the, those, how you do it, that flow between online, offline, what does that look like is being established between 2015, 2020 or 25. And we want to be that brand that's really helping to set those standards of what that looks like. How do you in that journey to get to where you are with your in-store experience and the product and, and where you're going, what was that decision-making process like? So so many of the retailers that we see and talk to today, they're looking for that hard ROI. Why should we have touch screens on the wall and show the runways or the mirrors in the uh, fitting rooms? What, what was that process like for you when you were thinking through what that experience would be like for your brand? I think first off, we started with our customer, and we knew that if we eased the pain points that she was experiencing when she's shopping, that you would have an ROI, um, and it would be measurable, which is currently not measurable in most stores other than what is rung at the register. So if you took away that moment of, does she want to be the VIP, does she want to be anonymous, and she can decide how she wants to be treated. She can order things from the dressing room so she's no longer getting dressed with her head out the door, like her bra half on, looking for the associate. or. Uh, she can dim the lights according to the occasion that she's going to go to so she know what she'll look like in a cocktail dress. So we knew if we did that just to start and the an- analytics we knew we would get from the data that's in those dressing rooms, we knew that the, it would be silly to not think of the the wealth, the treasure of ROI that we can measure and see. I mean, it's super it's super powerful. We just looked at people as humans and, and we looked at, we looked at, you know, in an e-commerce experience, you're looking at conversion and you're looking at a funnel and where does someone abandon the cart or abandon the session? And so we thought, what are the human moments that we as humans on an emotional or subjective level want to abandon a physical in-store experience? And so is that salesperson stalking you to even getting in line, right, waiting in line after you've decided what you're going to get uh, and being judged, right? You have to get like cattle and go wait in line. And now, now someone's judging you when you're up there about what your sizes are and did you have a good payday or a bad payday based on how much you bought or didn't buy um, and are you big or are you small. And so it was just where are there awkward or strange experiences and how can we remove any of that friction? Um, and so that really advises us on what's important. And our theory was that if we took away those pain points, that conversion would increase. So what we know now is that you know, for us as a brand where you know, 80% of our business is, is in accessory space and apparel is much smaller, for us to sell as much, if not more, apparel in the stores than we are handbags is like mind-blowing. For, for us to know that we're selling three times more apparel has been phenomenal. For us to know that we have a greater than 80% conversion if someone gets in the fitting room. But on the flip side, the data provides Rebecca. You know, I'll just give an example. We had a jacket that went in the fitting room 60 times over a four-day period, um, and there were 36 size change requests, and it was bought zero times. She knows she has a fit issue. High intent on the floor to buy, high intent in the fitting room to change it to make it work, wasn't bought, right? You'd never have that data elsewhere. You just go like, oh, the jacket didn't work. Well, the styling worked. The intent was there. There was a problem with the armholes, right? The armholes were too high. It wasn't comfortable. 
So no one's ever had that data. So that data of what goes in and what converts informs her team, Verac and her team, of what to design and at what price points because we know of what's converting. So that's that's a whole wealth of data. That's the tip of the iceberg. That, that no one's even ever that's had a, That's a fantastic story. We, we were shown a dashboard of all the analytics that we could get, and you could you could just do that full time is analyze all every every data point you could ever imagine. It was overwhelming, but that's how that's how deep you can get. Okay, all that data really leads to mass customization. I'm thinking about mass customization. We know it's a trend. We know it's a trend that you love. But how are you tackling it? Is it you've done product? You've done marketing? But what is top of mind for you when you think of the uses for that data and mass customization? Look, I think, I think oh, the use of, use of that data, you know, that totally informs the design decisions, uh, of course, and what does the merchandising assortment look like and how many. We know, we saw, look, we, know, we knew, we could see that we offered to our wholesale channel, we had a lot of price points between three and $500, yet what we saw occurring within our fitting room and what was converting in our stores was items below $100 and over $800, right? So we're like, oh my gosh, what we've been offering the wholesale community is totally off what our customer behavior is actually in the store and what's actually working here. So it caused her to redesign the line. I think from a mass customization perspective, um, you know, we're intently right now working with our different factories around that push-pull aspect of it. We're evaluating all the different costs um, connected to it. Um, in some cases, you buy a factory. In some cases, you look at you know a lean supply chain. Some you're looking at, you know, is one you know there's there's different methods of doing it. So we're evaluating all those methods right now. But that's that's coming strong. And I think short term, until we can make that a very quick activity, we have many items for sale in the store that you can feel like you are customizing your bag from stickers that you stick on the bag to different straps to different charms and key fobs. There's enough that we are offering our customer that she can really feel like she bought the bag that maybe 10 other people have, but she made it her own because it has a different color strap or an interesting treatment to it that made it hers. But email is a huge engine for you, too, and you also customize your message, right? You're also aiming to customize that message. Yeah, and I think also, look, you look at 3D printing, right? There, there, there are probably low-level, not expensive products that could be part of an experience that someone can have in a store where they're customizing something that can be 3D printed. You haven't done that yet, right? 3D um, we have not done that yet, but I, but again, these are things that you know we're spending a lot of time looking at um, that I think are going to provide a good ROI for the customer. How do you stay on top of that? So the 3D printing was what was coming to mind. Whether it's, you hear today 3D printing, there's AI, artificial intelligence, IoT. There's so many different technologies that retailers, you know, are have available to them. How do you factor that into kind of what you're doing from a business perspective? So. You know, look, we, we, we don't sleep very much and we read a lot. Um, <laughs> you know, I think, I think part of it becomes hot technology that's out there. It's, 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 it's one thing, right? Where, is the, where does there seem to be consumer sentiment? Where is there a heat index around? Then you start looking at vendor selection, right? So uh, can the vendor deliver? What's the economics of it? So you start monitoring these sorts of things and how many, how many projects can your team pull off at a given point in time? So you start marrying your team... Is this startup really going to deliver? Are they not? What are the risks? Or is this big company going to? Is some C-level person going to change their mind midway through and say, you know, yes or no? Um, and so we start looking at all those risk rewards, and then we choose which ones we, we think are going to have the biggest impact for our customer, and we decide, and then we start running. Um, but it all goes back to the customer need. It's never about oh, this is a, a hot thing, so let's do it. It's it's 
what's the customer going to need, or is this a company that we believe in and we want to start piloting something with them now, even though we don't know where it's going to go eventually? And we, sometimes we do that. But then what we have now is we have the Fortune 50 companies calling on us, asking us uh, what, if we want to partner with them. Recently, uh, Rob and Puppet and I had the opportunity with the Fashion Innovation Alliance down in Washington, D.C. to talk with congressional leaders about the future of fashion tech and supporting that and the Internet of Things and so forth. My question for you is, since you've, you, you've been recognized both as thought leaders and activators uh, in technology, um, what do you feel your role is and what kind of things are you doing to try to propel the fashion tech industry and, and technological innovation? So last year, we announced a partnership with Intel uh, with me as the ambassador. They made a very large monetary announcement of $300 million committed to encouraging females uh, to stick with STEM or STEAM, if it ever makes that change, Um, and really getting women to think differently about what it means to stay on that track and how you can have success. You you won't be in a lab coat and in a scientist, uh, unless that's what you want to do, but there are so many fields and there was so much opportunity, I call it the gold rush, for women and that we need women. I need women on that side of things with those brains thinking about technology and in fashion. Um, and a chief example is when we were designing our first wearable, um, I wanted it to look like jewelry because I didn't feel like a, a, a millennial wants to wear something that looks like an athletic device on their wrist and they might take it off if they go on a date. So I said it has to look like jewelry. And the gentleman on the team said, well, we'll just c- uh, color the plastic gold and then she'll think it's gold. <laughs> I see you scoffing. I was like, there's no way a woman knows the difference between plastic and metal. Um, and that will not work. So we had to, you know, re-engineer it and, and figure out, knowing that we couldn't use metal. So it's those simple things and even more deeper things that I think more women need to join that side. So uh, we've done college campus tours starting on the West Coast. We were in Berkeley. We were in Southern California. Um, we're going to be hosting another a bunch of tours and some other activations this side of the year, but really getting the word out there that STEM to me, is is the way of the future, and we need it in fashion, and we need it from women. Great. All right. Thank you very much. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, more with Rebecca and Uri Minkoff and a lightning round of off-the-grid questions right here on Fashion Is Your Business. Hi, I'm John Matson. I'm one of the hosts of Travel Is Your Business. And if you're interested in what's going on behind the scenes within the travel industry, you have to check out this show. We cover everything from the aviation industry to hospitality, hotels and accommodations, even in-destination and touristic experiences. If you work within the travel industry, this is an important resource for you. You'll hear from not only executives and leaders within the industry, but also new innovations and technologies that are coming to market right now. And if you're not in the travel industry, you're going to gain insights that help you connect with a traveler in their experience to advance your career. So come along for the ride. You can listen and subscribe to Travel Is Your Business wherever the best podcasts are found. Welcome back to FIYB Live in a stupendous and responsive crowd. Thank you very much. We're here with Uri and Rebecca Minkoff. And it is time for... And now... 
now, it's time for Questions Off the Grid, with fashion is your business. That's right, Off the Grid Questions, where we ask questions, frankly, off the grid. The hosts uh, have no idea what we're going to ask, and we don't know what each other's going to ask. But we solved that with a uh, quick turn of the wheel of grid destiny. We have a sound effect. And it comes. And hey, Mark. Hey, Mark. Since we have two guests this time, can the wheel turn twice, or can we spin it twice? Sure, we'll spin it twice. And uh, <laughs> amazingly, it comes to Liz. So uh, it's Liz's turn. So it's a, the this first time the wheel spins, and I'm actually ready for it. Absolutely. This is lightning <laughs> round of off the grid questions. That's fast questions, fast answers. So Liz, it's up to you. So Rebecca, honey. You say you're the largest millennial designer that caters to millennials. So what kind of advantage does it give it to you? I think the advantage that I have is that I am living that life and have previously lived it. So when we talk about our girl, I went through those firsts. I'm still having new firsts. Um, but, you know, we say, let's freeze me at 27. And what was I going through? What was my mindset? What was I aspiring to do? What did I want in my life? And so we can tap into having lived a similar life and similar needs and wants and having experienced 9-11 or all these key things that millennials are known to have changed us. Um, I think I can tap into, you know, her psychology because it's my psychology. And Yuri, I was 19 when I had my first business and it was with my sister. Um, so what are the challenges of working with your sister? <laughs> it's going to be a long answer. <laughs> Isn't this fast question fast answer? lightning round, Liz. <laughs> Wrong round. Wrong round. Um, no, I think, I think it's, look, we're both dynamic personalities. Um, she reminds me that I used to steal her Vogue magazines when uh, she was nine and I was 14. Um, and, and, and so that she's not getting me back uh, for, for, for that theft. No, I think, you know, we have complementary skill sets. Um, and I think over the years we've learned each other's. And so we kind of let each other get on with our own areas, but then we will have a viewpoint on the others, and, and we share that. Um, and usually twice a year we'll do an off-site for like two days where, you know, we leave New York and we go somewhere and we spend 16 or 30 hours just hold up working through all of our likes, dislikes, fears, goals, etc. And, and that seems to keep us grounded. All right, quick uh, turn of the Wheel of Grit Destiny, and Robin. Oh, geez, is it me? It's you. (laughs) All right, so I'm going to make this interesting. We've been talking shop all evening, so let's spice it up a little. So, Rebecca, what's the most embarrassing story that Uri would not want this audience to know? Oh, I want to hear that. (laughs) Robin wins off the great questions. That's it. It's yours. Okay, uh, when I was in high school... Is it high school? Hold on, let me Snapchat. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone was of a legal age, I'll say this. I don't know if I was in high school, but he was definitely under 18. Um, I was under 18? You, you were, so... You couldn't have been in high school then. Okay, well... <laughs> Maybe I was 21. You were not 21 yet. He was not 21. He and my best friend... We're talking late at night, and she was having a sleepover for me, not for him. 
and they made out that night, and I felt very betrayed. I was like, oh my, my best gosh, friend just made out with my brother. That's gross. I don't know how I feel about this. And our grandmother was in the next room. And our right? grandmother was in the next oh, room, and I was like, there you go. "He stole my friend." And you don't do just that to a night. sister, just for just a, night. a night. It didn't go beyond that, but that's what you should all not know. Wow, we we He's just gonna went get there. me back now. Okay. Yeah, actually, the reverse now. Oh, God. I know what he's gonna say. <laughs> huh? There's so many good ones. I know. Um, so, so Rebecca. So part of it's my fault because she was ready for her first night of kindergarten. Oh yeah. And uh, she had her new newly painted pink room with Care Bears on it. And I had my, a Care Bear tent. She, she wow. had a Care Bear tent. Well, she had she had the she had this amazing Barbie collection, and they were always naked. Uh, the Barbies were always, <laughs> always naked with each other. Uh, right. but, but it was the night before her first kindergarten. My brother and I put on these ugly Star Wars masks, and so we went in and we flipped the light and we screamed. And she levitated. Um, she, she levitated out of her bed in fear. And so she spent from five until 14 sleeping with us. Uh, basically, she couldn't, couldn't sleep alone right till 14 or 15. So 14. Oh, but I had to work to sleep with my brother, like we would, in the like, same room. We would make her do our chores. Dish nights, <laughs> massages. I had to earn my keep to Should, sleep in their room with them after they scared me. So. Does that mean you don't like Star Wars? I love Star Wars. <laughs> but it was just, yeah. So just things siblings do to each other when you're, when you're younger. <laughs> All right, good. All right, awesome. I see no need to go, but I'm going to go anyway. That was go for Mark. So I'll spin for whatever reason the grid of will destiny, and of course it arrives at me. My question is: before you became publicly Uri Minkoff and Rebecca Minkoff as an entity, as a brand, as personality, what have you, what is the proudest moment that each of you had? That's deep, man. That's deep. That is deep. <laughs> Okay, I thought of mine. Just thought I'd bring us down from, you know. Or, no, this is about proud moments. This should be down from naked Barbies. <laughs> so I, I wanted to be a dancer my whole life, and I trained as a dancer, and I went to high school for dance. Um, but at, as a dancer and being 5'9 when you're 16 and all the boys have not gone through puberty yet, um, the dance teachers were like, you're too tall and no one can partner with you, so you're going to ruin the symmetry of the performance, therefore go to the costume department. So I thank them for that because I honed my skills. Um, but I had choreographed um, this show as part of my senior project, and it toured uh, the county that I lived in to a bunch of different schools, and I was really proud because they had tried to stop me from performing, which I didn't get to do, but I got to choreograph a whole dance that went around the country and or not country county and was celebrated for that so that was that was a wow, moment for me all right. yeah. <laughs> make it count man top that Uri. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess i'll top it in a different way i think the the proudest moment was um i think becoming a father for the first time okay. i think i think i think before yeah. that you're you're kind of selfish to a degree, or maybe you're you're focused on taking care of yourself. Maybe your your partner, um, but then all of a sudden this child comes, and no matter what books you read, you're not prepared for what that feeling or emotion is like. That there's someone else there and caring and providing and protecting that person, mm -hmm. and so it's it's that it's that moment of like it's not about me anymore. It's about making sure that they're secure and safe, and that my actions reflect on them. And so I'd say being a father uh, for the first time uh, really was, was mine. 
And on that note, uh, how, how would you like uh, people listening to the show to connect with you or your business? Uh, I think it, our Instagram, at Rebecca Minkoff, our Snapchat, Rebecca Minkoff, our YouTube channel, Rebecca Minkoff. I think those are good ways to start. You can email me. Um, wow. You can email I'm Uri at Rebecca Minkoff.com. I mean, it's not that hard to reach. I try and write back to most people. It doesn't always work, but I try to. You... It usually goes in peaks and valleys. Don't shake your head. Uh, this is a bad week for me, but next week will be a really good week for me. Uh, so, um, yeah. So catch you, a subject line, yeah, straight to usually, the point. You, usually, usually um, in, in that case, I'm usually a connector because usually what we like to do within our company is, is find a sponsor that isn't that besides us because if we sponsor something and no one else signs up for it, it, it dies. So usually we try and find an internal sponsor for whatever that might be. And if you're able to be entrepreneurial with that sponsor, then that's amazing and that's how things happen within our company. Amazing. Thank you. Wow. That's it for this amazing episode of Fashion Is Your Business Live. You can check out the uh, second part, or I guess it would be first part of this interview with Rebecca and Uri Minkoff on American Fashion Podcast, our sister podcast. That went very well, too. Uh, I'd like to thank Uri and Rebecca Minkoff for your uh, time and, and the enjoyable interview. Thank you so much, and continue good luck. Thanks thank you. Us. And thank you to Liz Basilar. Bye-bye, everyone. And for Robin Copeland of ThoughtWorks. All right, thanks. I'm Mark Rako. Thanks so much, everybody, and have a great day. We'll see you next time. This has been Fashion Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2019. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at fashionisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard.